Listen up. It's Bass Provider Meets Boss Banker. Chris Meets Chris. As in Grasshopper Bank Chief Digital Officer Chris Tremont and Treasury Prime CEO Co-Founder Chris Dean. It's the two C's with the two D's as they talk about what it's like to team up as a tech company, a banking company, and a creative force to move the needle forward in financial services. It's all here on Dave and Darn Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And this week, we've got a bit of a full house. We have two Chrises with us today. First is Chris Tremont from Grasshopper Bank, and we're joined by Chris Dean. So this is going to be interesting how we differentiate between the two Chrises, but we'll try and be very clear about who we're directing questions to anyway. Welcome, both of you. Would you, Chris Tremont, like to start with a brief introduction to yourself and you know what you're doing at the bank? Sure. And thanks for having us on. Yeah, I think you're going to probably have to go by last name or something to keep Chris and I <laughs> separate. But- <laughs> We're happy to be here. So I'm Chris Tremont. I'm currently serving as Chief Digital Officer for Grasshopper Bank. I've spent my whole career, I guess, 18 or 19 years in financial services. A big chunk of that was 12 or 13 years with a digital bank in Boston, Massachusetts called Radius that we kind of took from an older school community bank and digitized it and had a successful exit to a company called Lending Club in 2021, helping them to gain their banking charter. And then about two years ago, I joined Grasshopper. And so we're a three or four-year-old bank, digital only, and really client-focused on serving the business and innovation economy. And so that's where we spend a lot of our time trying to solve client issues in the B2B and fintech world. And so that's a lot of what my team in the bank is doing today. Over to you, Chris. Dean. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm Not Christine. Christine. That's Christine. No. It, it is a problem. I do Christopher Dean sometimes and everyone confuses me with the, you know, there's a nice skater name. <laughs> yeah, I've known Mr. Tremont for many years and it's great to be on the call with him. Thank you all for having us. So I'm Christopher Dean. I am the CEO and I'm one of the founders of Treasury Prime. Treasury Prime is a U.S.-focused banking-as-a-service company. I like to say it seems like we're the last banking-as-a-service company in the U.S. as everyone else drops off one by one. Our vision is fundamentally that technology is coming to the United States financial system and that the way the U.S. financial system works is it's powered by banks. So banks are our clients. Grasshopper is probably our best, well, at least one of our best clients, top two or three. And... I've worked with them for years, 
What we do is we provide a technology stack so that they can partner with fintechs and other innovators and power that relationship. But we are not a bank where Mr. Tremont is a bank. Cool. So with Grasshopper, what's its background? I mean, how did it start? And congratulations on the exit, by the way. I mean, that's a fantastic achievement, especially in this space. So is that what you're hoping to achieve also with Grasshopper? Grasshopper started operating here in the U.S. about four years ago, so about 2019. So still getting out of our de novo status, so to speak, but, you know, in banking terms, still very early on in our life cycle. The bank itself is headquartered in New York City, but we're national in scope. Like I mentioned earlier, digital in nature. So really this approach of not building physical stores, but going to where we believe our clients want to be now and where they're headed in the future, and that's digital. So the bank got started four years ago. I was not part of the founding team, but the concept or the mission for the company was to serve the business and innovation economy. And so what that meant out of the gate really was a pretty singular focus on serving the venture communities. So VC and PE funds and the portfolio of companies that they invest in. Still a strategy that we employ today, but about two years ago, a number of folks were attracted to this company, including myself, a new CEO came in, a new management team, and a lot of others inside the company, where we kept the mission the same, but we kind of broadened it to diversify the client bases that we were serving across the business landscape. And so to paint that picture real quickly, what that means is we kept the line of business that serves the venture community, and we're still 100% committed to it today. But we layered in some new lending lines of business, like participating in the SBA program, commercial real estate, and a couple other asset generating businesses. And then on the deposit gathering side, we added in a direct offering for small and medium-sized businesses and startups, digital in nature, of course. And then the banking as a service platform, we can get into more, but we launched that in tandem with Chris and Treasury Prime about 15 months ago working with financial technology companies. And so that has been sort of what we've been after over the last two years or so, diversification being key to our growth. And we've seen some nice growth. I don't think we'll ever be done here, but assets have gone from 200 million to probably over 700 million as of our 630 call report here. And we've just seen a lot of demand for the platform. So we're excited about it. The bank itself is private equity backed, so we're privately owned. And who knows where the future will go over the next 12, 24, 36 months. I'm not here to make that prognostication, but our focus right now is just serving our clients as well as we can and profitably growing. That's quite a good segue to the other, Chris. So tell us a bit about Treasury Prime and then your views on why you were chosen by Grasshopper Bank. Other than the fact that you know the other Chris, obviously. <laughs> I didn't know the other Chris. So we had another company a long time ago, had a similar name to Treasury Prime, and we sold that to Silicon Valley Bank, that company. This is back in the day when having sold something to Silicon Valley Bank was cool instead of maybe sad. I expected to stay there for a minute at SVB because, like, honestly, I'm not a banker. I'm a technologist. I want to write software all day long, and banking's hard and didn't want to do it. But I ended up staying at SVB for two years running their fintech group. And two main things I found is that 
the appetite for the technology firms to work with the bank was just astounding. Like SCB had some built-in name recognition and we were turning away people. We were growing 10X every year on that side of the business. It was just amazing. And this was a while ago. And the other thing I found is that mostly the tech firms really, really understood their customers. They're really good at marketing, but they really didn't have a fundamental idea of how money worked and especially not how banking worked and what was hard and what was easy, what was important and what was not important. And that's the value that really SVB brought to the table. And using that knowledge, my buddy, my colleague and I, Jim Brewster, founded Treasury Prime. The idea was this change is happening where branches are going to close, technology is going to take over that part of that relationship. There's like, you count credit unions, there's like 10,000 banks in the U.S. It's just a lot. There's not the need for the branches that there were, you know, back in the day. And Treasury Prime would say like, okay, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find banks who want to do this, who are good at banking, and we're going to provide them a technology layer so they can take advantage of this exploding market. And that's what Treasury Prime's been doing for five and a half years now. And it's working great. We have a large number of banks who we work with. We have a large number of fintechs who we work with. And our goal here is to keep both sides happy. We tend to avoid the riskier things. We have very few clients who get in trouble because they're trying to do something sketchy. And frankly, that works on both sides. We say no to banks who we don't think are ready. We say no to fintechs sometimes. Mostly the banks say no to fintechs who aren't ready. But for us, we are a software company providing this connectivity layer. If we ever try to be a bank, I think we've messed up and we've lost. Can I ask a dumb question, but <laughs> I'll ask it anyway. So in terms of the license, you don't hold the banking license. Like Grasshopper, you are the people who are the licensed and regulated and insured by the FDIC. And is that right? Yep. That's correct. That's right. We don't hold the charter. We don't want to hold the charter. I can tell you it's about once a month someone asks me if I want to buy a bank and maybe make it into some tweak Treasury Prime. I'm like, no, I don't. I think that's a hard problem. I think that just at a personal note, if I wanted to try to do three months job, okay, I have 20 years of learning I have to figure out. I would not assume that would be the same kind of business as a startup. A startup's designed to grow quickly or not work, right? Where a bank is designed to grow, but it's designed to grow safely, right? Like if you look at most of our banks are really well-run companies. They take risk, but carefully. And if you look at most of the startups on the fintech side, including us, we take a lot more risk than they do. And I think it's just a different kind of relationship that we each have with our businesses. Very interesting. You said something which, again, I think was kind of provocative, but interesting, which is in terms of the bass market, you're last one standing. And I'm sure that was just a kind of throwaway <laughs> comment, but what is the state of the bass market in the US? What is going on? And I'd be interested to understand some of the trends. Well, the US, it's also true in Europe, you know, a little bit. The UK, UK at least has a good model. But in the US, so many of our people we work with, they've decided they want to be a bank, but not get a charter. And I think this is a non-starter. A, they don't know how to run a bank. And B, like, you know the regulator's not going to like that. And all it takes is for one person to do something stupid. And you know what happens is the CEO or the head of the digital bank, the other partner, 
loses their job, right? It's not good. <laughs> you know, we've seen a large number of our competitors either were for sale now or they were recently purchased. And there's certainly a number of consent decrees against banks right now. And that certainly affects pretty directly these BAS firms. And I would hope that none of our banks ever have that problem because if they do, that means we, Treasury Prime, are not giving them the tools they need to run their business. And that's on us. But I don't expect that. Tremont's too good of a banker to ever let that happen. You're too kind. But to piggyback, I think, off of what Chris is saying, from the bank's perspective, the first fintech deal we did at the last company was in 2013. So we're 10 years ago. And Chris and I ended up meeting, I think it was near the end of 2017. And we'll have to tell that story, too, because I think that's an interesting one. But I <laughs> think about like 10 years ago, Chris doing a deal and you were maybe doing some stuff at SVB or building, you know, the other company, how different the market was, probably the size and the maturity of some of these fintech companies, maybe the respect or lack thereof, of the operational and regulatory environments that we lived in, the technology, I don't know. So you fast forward to today and living in this space, it's just a whole different ballgame than it used to be. But the state of it is over the last, call it two years, three years or so, we probably saw a huge proliferation of banks wanting to get into this game as sort of like the next place to go, maybe where you can find clients or lower cost deposits or revenue in light of some of what Chris talked about, maybe instead of building a branch, something like that. So you saw a lot of banks run into this banking as a service platform, saw a proliferation of competitors or I'll say lookalikes to maybe what Chris and Treasury Prime were doing. But he and I have actually always said, you got to peel back the onion around when you say banking as a service, because every bank does it a little different and every technology provider is not the same either. And I think what we've seen now over the last 12 months or so, like Chris said, is certainly a lot more regulatory scrutiny here in the US for financial institutions doing it. The OCC, the FDIC, the Fed, everybody, you know, I think is catching up to what's going on. And I think there's a good thing, to be honest with you, about the regulation and having some more guidelines. And probably, as Chris said, maybe he will be the last man standing in the bass API game. I don't know, but we've certainly seen some players fall by the wayside. And it'll be interesting to see where this goes over the next 18 months, because certainly the demand for the services and the types of companies looking to offer this isn't going away. The addressable market and the opportunity is still huge. I think Chris and I both would agree on that. Yeah, I think that's right. Like the pressure from the market is just too big. And take Grasshopper as an example. You're not going to find a better run bank. It's really great. But it's still, you know what your assets are. You probably said it's like- We're under a billion. Yeah. They can service a lot of people with that size. But really what happens is there are national entities like tech companies or whoever who know a market pretty well and can service that far more than any local bank. And I would argue far more than even one of the national banks like Chase or whoever. There's lots of these embedded banking examples where it's like there are dentists in the world, there are construction companies in the world, in the U.S. And the people who know those businesses can create a banking product for them, partnering with a bank that is very hard for a local bank to do, right? They just don't have the ability to do the investment nationally that would be needed to serve that market. But someone like Grasshopper does, they can find 
partners, these fintechs, use the Treasury Prime software to talk to the bank in a secure and safe and governable way. And the fintech can do the fintech stuff and the bank can do the banking stuff. And that works, right? That really does work. And it's very different than the model we might have seen 50 years ago, where there's just a lot of branches everywhere. And if you want to do something, you walk into a branch and do your deposits and maybe get a a loan or two. And that's how it works. That's not how it works anymore. Darmish and I have talked a lot about focus, building that kind of focus on a particular segment. And that then helps in terms of the fintechs that you kind of bring to the party. It's interesting to say that you broadened out the proposition slightly. Chris Tremont, that you've kind of kept that within some guardrails. I think you're right. We were fortunate to step into a situation where there was that focus. Some banks, I mean, it's easy to sit and say like, oh, you need to narrow your focus when you've got all these lines of business and client bases you've been serving for 50, 75 years, right? But I do think there's something to be said about, Dave, I love you use the word segment or niche or whatever you want to call it. But having that focus and really being able to go deeper allows you to just ultimately serve the client base better. For us, it happened to be the business, the B2B market, whether it be fintechs indirectly or directly on the business and commercial end of things. We saw this trend coming. Chris and I talked about it a lot when I was at the last bank. We were just starting to get to serving the SMB market prior to our exit. And so when this opportunity came along at Grasshopper, a B2B focused bank, we jumped at it just because while there's a lot of banks and fintechs that serve this market, for example, we don't feel like there's one true winner. And I don't know that there's ever going to be one true winner, but there's just so much opportunity for growth in this space. And we don't get watered down by getting pulled in the direction of, do I go build a branch here or serving other markets? So it's a bit of a competitive advantage, I think. We've heard or seen quite a few banks that are focused on niches, you know, one in the US just focused on lorry drivers, the LBGT community, et cetera, et cetera. But when we delve a little bit deeper, we didn't find much in the way of products that were specifically geared to those audiences. Now, on the lorry driver thing, it actually started off with insurance for the tires because was hugely expensive if they had a big blowout to recover the vehicle, et cetera. So that was quite neat, I thought. But can you talk a bit about what Grasshopper is doing specifically for the innovation side? Because that sounds really interesting. It's a great question and a great point that you make. Everybody's strategy is what it is, and everybody's a little bit different. I think Chris and I have probably talked to a lot of fintechs out there where you try to make a discern or determination between are you a company? or you align a business or product, right? Like in terms of growth potential. But what we've started to say is in our direct banking model, we've built a platform, a digital platform that's leverageable to be able to serve multiple client segments in the business economy, so to speak. And so to that end, we started by working with small and medium-sized businesses. We partnered initially with Treasury Prime to enable five or 10 minute digital account opening, which is crucial. Still, it's hard to believe, Chris, how many banks don't open accounts digitally for small business, but we've been (laughs) doing it together for a while. But like getting the account open in under 10 minutes, you don't have to walk into a branch completely paperless. That was step one. 
developing an operating account that was useful for the small business to manage their cash flow. So we're talking about a product designed for easy money in, money out. How do I pay my people, my vendors? How do I invoice clients, get paid digitally? And I don't spend as much time with my banking and I'm worried about running my business. And so that's what we did for the small business. And we're welcoming over a thousand new clients a month digitally there. And so like, just to quickly touch on the, like you say, so what other innovations are we working on? We're going to leverage this platform again to say, how do you tweak the product or the platform offering to venture back startups? Some of which you might consider to be in the SMB market, but it's a little bit different. And so we're looking at products that might have a little bit different yield. Or while we provide a really great operating account, we know in that space, we're not all things to all people. So how do you curate a community or a marketplace where they can get access to, say, venture debt, corporate credit cards, startup insurance? There's a couple of things that we're working on. Referrals into a VC network, right? Like that's the kind of approach or relationship approach we're taking in a digital format to say work with another segment. That would be the startup community. And then the last thing I'd say is like a third segment that we love is working with Chris on the fintech side. So indirectly supporting these companies. And so the innovation is you don't need to go acquire a bank charter if you don't want it. You can work with us. You get the best technology around from Treasury Prime. So you get sort of the best of both worlds with banker and technologist. And you can run payments and depository accounts and maybe credit at some point down the road for your own corporate use, for money movement for your end clients, or you could run a neobank on top of it, right? And we're going to keep pushing the boundaries, I think, Chris and I and our teams in a safe and sound way to meet the demands of where the fintech market's going as well. Is that formally packaged up as a proposition which you're going to market with then? It is. It's a lot of what Chris does when he talks about he's got other bank clients and fintechs that they work with. At Grasshopper, we look at banking as a service, as a line of business. So diversification is important. We don't want to be known as just a vast bank, you know, so to speak, air quotes. But it is an important line of business for us for a lot of reasons. And we have a team that supports it. We work closely with our regulators, but it's a cross-functional group of all departments inside the bank that work with Treasury Prime to safe and soundly onboard these fintechs. And yeah, David, we've got materials and a whole program and a platform to bring them on. So can I ask, my background is very much around user experience and taking what customers say and using that as a way of developing propositions. So Chris Tremont, customer insight and feedback is very important. But in a broader question, what customers are telling you, do you then feed that back into Chris Dean and the team at Treasury Prime? Does that help them in terms of how they then build out their platform more? Is there a process you've developed to capture feedback and use that to help both businesses evolve? It's a great question. And the short answer is yes, of course. What I really enjoyed stepping in a couple of years ago at Grasshopper was that there was actually almost a bit of a built-in demand for these APIs and the banking as a service platforms with Grasshopper's current business and venture clients. So clients have been asking for this. And you couple that with a team that had some experience. So as we came over, we partnered again with FIS and with Treasury Prime. So some teams we had known in the past. 
kind of knew how to get this thing off the ground, right, Dave? So it was like, we knew what we wanted to build. Chris had a set of APIs ready to go, and we've continued to develop it out since then. So it was like, get that thing to market and bring a few clients on. And so we started that 14, 16 months ago. And we've had a good amount of success as we've onboarded a number of new clients. But now the pendulum swings a little bit when you go from pure startup mode. I just got to find some prospects. I got to put them through an implementation cycle. And now we're across the whole spectrum where we've got a portfolio of clients shared, Chris and I and our teams that are asking for maybe new developments, improvements to the platform. And so we do have this process where maybe it's folks on our team are talking to the client, could be somebody on Chris's team as well. But our teams are meeting cross-functionally more than you would imagine probably during any given week talking about this. And it takes a little while to get your sea legs under you. So that was part of it, at least on the grasshopper side. We kept the mission intact. We broadened the vision, but we set the strategy. And part of that is finding you know, potentially new people or new people that were there in new roles, but setting the culture and like, how do you work with a technology firm? So it was a little bit of a shift for us. And now we've got a real good cadence working together. And some of the things that our teams hear a lot as we think about what are the clients asking for, certainly here in the US, the concept of real-time payments is moving fast for the fintech space, you know, in the payments world. So looking at FedNow and RTP options, and those are things that we get asked a lot. And so now I'll say the challenge for us at Grasshopper is making sure we got Chris's ear and his team's ear to say, okay, how does this fit into your roadmap, right? And that's part of the game. How does it all shake out? Because Chris is doing other things outside of just what Grasshopper is looking to do. Though the nice thing is we're usually pretty aligned, but he's got a roadmap himself and a company that he's running. Yeah, the grasshopper thing is interesting because usually what they ask for, which sometimes seems ridiculous, you know, everyone else asks for six months later or a year later. They're there beforehand. If you look at the relationship between like the clients that we have in common, the fintech clients, if they ask Treasury Prime a banking question, I'm not going to know the answer unless they can't say the answer in any definitive way. And what happens pretty quickly is that the fintech learns that most of the questions they have are banking questions. And that really the fintech client, the relationship is with the bank. It's not with us. Like the bank is the one who actually owns the relationship at the end of the day between the end user, the fintech client and us or, you know, the bank. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. If you start to look at it that way and say, okay, what Treasury Prime's mission for is not to talk to every fintech and tell them how to run their business. Treasury Prime's mission is to make sure that the banks are able to do that because the banks actually can do that or we can't. We can't talk in any realistic way about risk associated with onboarding certain types of clients. We can't talk in any realistic way about fraud. We can't talk in any realistic way about anything like that. Like I can tell you things I know just from being a person, but really it's different when you actually have to <laughs> look at the money at the end of the day and make sure that it's still at the bank. It really is a different problem. So I think that a lot of people don't really understand that. They come to us and say, great, I hear you have lots of banks. Can you turn me on? I'm like, maybe you got to talk to them. Because ultimately, what the fintech should be looking for is the same thing the regulators are looking for. I had a regulator tell me a long time ago at SVB that the two things they wanted were to keep money safe and keep money liquid. That's what they wanted. That was at the end of the day, very simple. 
And if you're a fintech, that's what you want too, right? Do you want all your money disappearing? No. Do you want a regulator mad at you because nothing's happening with this cash? No, you don't. What you want to do is partner with a well-run bank. And if you don't do that, you might not notice it for the first six months, but you'll notice it in the first year for sure. It's really interesting to see how you work with each other in such a positive way. It feels like part of the market really growing up. You talk about 2017 and the kind of gold digging days. And now we're at the point where it feels like this is a market for grown-ups. We're very close to time as well. So I'd really love to ask both of you, you know, what the future holds and what you can see that you might be doing together and separately as well. So I look at the space Chris and I share. Banking is a permanent thing and banking is going to be around forever, right? That's not going away at any time. It just works too well. But what is changing is the way that people interact with the bank and access the bank. And I think that if you look at this, we probably just completed the first chapter of the story and we're starting the next one. In the novel of this, like how is banking going to change, especially in the U.S. over the next many years? We're still very, very early. I've been saying for a while now, if you just look at the numbers, I expect there to be a trillion dollars in deposits that are originated through these fintech relationships in not that many years, like less than five at this point. And a trillion dollars sounds like a lot of money because it is an enormous amount of money, but it's still only, what, 5% of the U.S. deposits, right? And if you use that as a proxy for how many assets and how many loans you're going to deploy, this is going to be a big giant change in the U.S., but still very believable that, you know, people like Treasury Prime and Grasshopper will play a significant role in it. That's what I look at. We're still in the first days that all these banks, all these fintechs that are out there are still going to keep doing more and more stuff. And Treasury Prime's mission is to make that possible. If I make that possible, that's all I really want to do. I think it'll be interesting as we look out over the next, I don't know, 18, 24, 36 months. We're just such a different time than where we just came out of with the pandemic and interest rates at zero and, you know, maybe focused on where we're getting our deposits from. The lifeblood of a bank is its deposits. And for a while, I would say leading up to maybe 2020, it was like deposit gathering used to be hard. And for a couple of years, banks were just a wash in deposits and they were really low cost. And now we're starting to see a little bit more of a war for deposits. We'll see. Maybe rates will be higher for longer. I don't know where we're going to go. But I do think this thought around cost of funds and diversification of deposits is just going to be really important. I mean, it was highlighted back in March and April with our banking crisis, so to speak, and where we're headed now. So I do think with that as a backdrop, banks and the technology partners like Chris and team that play a part of this are going to be thinking more about where am I getting my clients from? the stickiness of the deposits, the costs of the deposits, because it's going to play out in financial statements soon enough. And I just think the diversification is important. We're going to be headed towards more digitization, both through direct banking and indirectly through banking as a service. I just think this is going to continue to grow while having more of a regulatory spotlight on it than before. So maybe it's a little bit more proceed with caution and you got to make sure you got your operations and compliance right in addition to your sales efforts that's super important but ultimately it's like these apis i don't know i have this view that it's not going to be table stakes but maybe 
In 2003, we were selling cash management services like remote deposit capture and positive pay or whatever to corporates. These APIs were kind of like heading that way where it's like helping clients manage their cash. I just think BAS is going to become or APIs a part of a bank's business. It's just going to take on a little bit of a different flavor than where we sit today over the next 12 to 24 months. Fantastic. Certainly the approach that you have in hand and it's really great to hear how you're working together in this approach. In the early days of banking as a service here, we were seeing a lot of the de novo banks actually, you know, saying we are technology companies with a banking license and we're going to compete on the technology basis. But I couldn't for the life of me really see how you could run two separate businesses extremely competitively like that. What makes more sense to me is a bank partnering with a tech company, the tech company getting a much broader range of use cases from all of their banking customers. And it seems like you've dodged the bullet of building the bank and the platform yourself, right? Because it is a massive onus and your results in terms of your deposit gross and customer uptake just speak for themselves. And the fact that the other Chris is the last man standing almost in the bad space also says that this is the right strategy. So with that, I'd like to congratulate you both and say thank you so much for your time. It's been really fascinating to hear your stories. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.